Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, before I get into the message this morning, uh, I want to share with you about an amazing opportunity we have for you uh, to change the world with us. Uh, some of you know that our church has been going uh, with our dear friend Sammy Wanyoni to Africa with his ministry Shine for years now. I actually believe it's one of the more fruitful things we do as a church for a kingdom, for the kingdom. And so uh, last year, uh, we sent 11 people from our church to Tanzania in Eastern Africa. And those 11 people personally shared the gospel with over 12,000 people. They saw over 450 people come to Christ. That's amazing, right? You can clap for that if you'd like. Um, because I'm sure that you clapped uh, yesterday during the Vikings game. And so... <laughs> Right, it was after you turned it back on, okay? <laughs> so we love it. Actually, we were a part of a larger mission while we were there that shared the gospel with a half a million people in seven days. And we are going to do a very similar thing uh, this summer, and we want you uh, to come with us. So this summer, we are going to be going to Mozambique in uh, southeastern Africa. It is going to be, and we got a map there for you if you're like, I don't know where Mozambique is. Now you do. Okay. Uh, it is going to be a faith-bending, faith-risking, faith-expanding uh, sort of trip. I, I believe that you will not come back the same if you go on this trip. And even more importantly, honestly, people just need to hear about Jesus, okay? And right now, Sub-Saharan Africa is one of the best places to share the gospel in the world. Because it's really open to the gospel. We can set up large events. We can preach on the street. We can do all sorts of stuff very easily there. And it's amazing to watch God use it. So check out, uh, before I say a little bit more, actually check out this preview video. Let's go. I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> okay. If you come with us, you will be sharing your faith often. Okay. We will train you for this. We will teach you how to do it. Uh, every year we see people step into the Jordan River of faith. That's what we've been talking about a lot as a church this year where they go, this is scary. This is kind of crazy, but I'm going to take a step and they get to see God do crazy, amazing things. I am telling you one of the most amazing things you could ever possibly experiencing, experience in your life is to have God speak through you to bring another person to Christ and have their eternity changed forever. And that can happen through you this summer. So uh, you can pick up an application. I encourage you to do so. Uh, they're out in the lobby on the table or they're online as well. Uh, we would love for you to do that. I, one last thing I'll say, it's not, listen, it's not cheap. It's not cheap to fly to Africa, especially nowadays. But let me just tell you that most of our people raise at least half of the money and we will teach you how to do that as well. And we have plenty of people that raise all of the money and go to Africa for free. So even if you're just 10% interested, I'll pick up an application and then turn it in as soon as possible. We, th we think that interest is high in this trip and it's capped at 25 people. So there you go. Thanks for letting me talk about that. I'm passionate about it. Okay, we are going to get into our uh, passage and our message for this morning. We are in a five-week series called Names of God, where we are taking a look at some unique names of God uh, in the Bible. And today we're actually going to look at two uh, fascinating ones together, and that is the Ancient of Days 
and the Son of Man. So everybody grab a Bible, uh, whether you brought your own or you use yours here. Uh, we don't put it on the screen because we want you to open it and just study it and have it yourself. Uh, we are in Daniel chapter 7. And we actually are going to look at an amazing prophecy today that God gave Daniel. Now, Daniel was a Jew who had been exiled to the kingdom of Babylon. And while he was there, this is about the year 550 BC, while he was there, he has this amazing dream and vision about the future. Now, our two names of God are actually not in this very first section, but this is an important lead up to it. So open your Bible with Daniel Daniel chapter 7. And uh, we're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. So you just need to be at that big seven. Okay, here's what the word of God says. It says, in, his first, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind. As he was lying in bed, he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings, had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast. This is the third one. One that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever what was left. Whatever was left, it was different from all the former beast, and it had ten horns. Okay, let's pause there for a few minutes. Uh, I'm sure that you have dreams like this every night, right? This is normal for you. This is a crazy dream, but it's actually an amazing prophecy. So keep your Bible open, because I want to walk you through it, okay? This is like one of those sections of the Bible where you read at home, you're like, I'm sorry, what? Right? We want to walk through it. I want you to understand that this is a Bible-teaching church, and so that's our goal. Okay, so... Each of the the beasts that you see typically in in scripture represent governments uh, or empires. And these are empires that dominated much of the civilized world uh, after, during, and then after Daniel's life. So, okay, first beast, that's verse four. Okay, what is it? We see that it is a lion with the wings of an eagle. Now, we're going to walk through this. So I'll put this on screen for you. You can maybe take a picture of it at the end or put it in your notes. The lion is going to represent the empire of Babylon. And you can see the years on there that Babylon ruled. And uh, Babylon was in power during uh, Daniel's dream. So he's in actually the nation of Babylon. And Babylon, in history, was often symbolized as a lion or an eagle. In fact, you can go to a museum today and see there's a brick relief of a lion with wings uh, for the kingdom of Babylon. Now, the second beast that we see is a bear. This is verse 5. And the bear represents the combined kingdom of Medo-Persia. Now, this is the kingdom, actually about 10 years after Daniel's dream, comes in and they conquer a Babylon and then they assert much of their dominance on much of the region at the time. Now, did you notice that part where it said the bear is raised up on one side? 
Well, that's because in this um, alliance, you have a Medo and Persia, the Medes and, and the Persians. The Persians were significantly stronger, and in fact, they eventually just take over the kingdom of themselves. And then there was that really weird part where it said there was three ribs in the bear's mouth. Well, that represents the three kingdoms that eventually the Medo-Persians would conquer. So they conquered the kingdom of Babylon, they conquered the kingdom of Egypt, and they conquered uh, even the great kingdom of Lydia at the time. Now, the third beast, we read in verse 6, is a leopard. Now, the leopard is going to represent Greece, who by 330 BC had taken over Persia, and they ruled all the way from Greece to India. And their leader, uh, who you might have heard of before, Alexander the Great, quickly conquered the civilized world. I mean, kind of like at the speed of a leopard, and he had done so by the time he was 28 years old right? That's crazy. And then, did you see that part of verse 6 where it talks about the leopard and it describes it? It says, it has four wings and four heads. Okay, so this is not like the leopard at the Minnesota Zoo, okay? So it's a little bit different. So there's a symbolism, because that's what you see in prophecy. So after Alexander the Great's surprising death at age 32, the Greek kingdom was divided into, you want to guess how many kingdoms? Four. Four different kingdoms. This is amazing. I mean, this is a dream that happened a couple hundred years before that was to actually happen. And then we see the fourth beast. That's verse seven. It's not any animal that we know. It's terrifying. It's powerful. It's crushing and devouring everything in its wake. And this is the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, which in 63 BC begins to assert its dominance and becomes the dominant empire, eventually stretches all the way from England to Iran. Now, as we go through these amazing prophecies, what I know uh, about people in the room from being a pastor for a long time now is there's about half of you in the room that are going, oh, I love prophecies, and I love the end times, and I love this Sunday, and the other half of you are going, like, please tell me why this even matters. Okay? Well, I will tell you why it matters. Okay? It matters because the Ancient of Days we're going to meet in a few seconds here. The ancient of days, God knows this. Here's our first point I want you to see. God knows and is in charge of the past, of the present, and of the future. I mean, think about what this amazing prophecy says about our God. Could you have predicted something like this? I mean, most humans, we can't even predict tomorrow, right? Let alone five or ten years even into the future. I always think about this when I think about 2020. Uh, many of you in the business world, you know that around like 2010 or 2015, there were a lot of businesses and corporations who unveiled their 2020 vision, right? For, cause it's cute, 2020, right? Like, here's what's gonna happen. And, and, and the CEOs would boast about in the year 2020, this is what we're gonna accomplish. And I feel like God was just in heaven, like, oh, you are, huh? <laughs> cute. <laughs> We can't even go ahead a few years, and yet here is Daniel through the inspiration of God telling us what the next four empires are going to be like. That's amazing. Okay, this is the word of God. And so when you read prophecies like this in the Bible, there's really two things that, that should come to mind for you. Uh, number one, this, these amazing prophecies should increase your faith that what you read in the rest of this book is true. Okay? It is the word of God. And then number two, these prophecies should also remind you that if God is in control of empires, he is absolutely in control in your life right now. 
Okay, some of you just need to hear that this morning. He is in control because he's God. All right, now prophecy can be kind of hard to decipher sometimes. Okay, today is really different from when we've been studying Colossians this fall, right? It's a different sort of genre, but most scholars see a break between verses 7 and 8. So Daniel was talking about the Rome of the past. Now it's his future, but our past. But now we're going to go to the future. We're actually going to go to kind of the end of days, the end times. And Daniel's going to talk about something like Rome is going to rise up again. So now as we keep reading, we're going to jump to verse 8. So find that little number 8. And now we're kind of in the end times. Here's what it says. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn. Because remember that last piece that had 10 horns on it? So there's 10 horns and now another one is coming up. There's another horn, a little one which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was like wool, white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Okay, this is judgment that's happening here. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one, here comes the second title of God, one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, that's a lot, right? Let's, let's, let's talk through this. Now, let me give you the uh, traditional interpretation of this. So uh, later, if you keep reading in this amazing chapter, and I, and I, I encourage you to do so later, in, in chapter 7, we see that we're told that these ten horns on that sort of last government kingdom, they represent ten kings. Okay, so these will be ten key leaders that will be in place in the end times. And then we see that there's one horn, another leader that's going to rise up, sort of get rid of, replace three of those ten kings. And this leader in Christian theology is typically known as the Antichrist. It's this key figure that is in charge, kind of in, sort of in the final government. And the Antichrist is speaking boastfully about who he is, what he can do. He's wooing everybody over to him, amassing a following. And chapter 7 later says at the same time he is persecuting God's holy people. By the way, if a lot of this feels like, uh, what? Right? Like, horns and beasts, and I've never even seen this before. I am confused. I just want, I just want you to know that's okay. Okay. So many of you, you're just starting in your faith. You're just getting back to it. Some of you just never read this part of the Bible before. I would just say this to you. I want you to be encouraged as a Christian. When you get to a part of the Bible that you just don't know, see that as an opportunity for you to dive deeper. 
and learn God's word, okay? And so this is an opportunity where you go home and you open your study Bible and you start studying yourself. If you don't have that NIV study Bible yet, you've got like, I don't know, five days or something to get it on your Christmas list, okay? It's an opportunity to go deeper. Okay, so this final horn, the Antichrist, rises up. He's controlling this final government, and then he's persecuting believers. But then what happens at the very end? Here comes the Ancient of Days. Okay, this is verse 9. The Ancient of Days is God the Father in the Trinity. And it's really one of his most amazing names. In fact, you see a similar name in Isaiah 43. And it basically means before days were. Okay, before time began, God was the Ancient of Days. And what does the Ancient of Days God the Father look like in this scenario? Well, did you see it? It says he has white hair, his white clothes. I mean, this is symbolic. Sometimes in prophecy, it's hard to know. Is it descriptive? Is it symbolic? But either way, it means it's referencing his splendor, uh, his wisdom, his purity. And then we see the ancient of days is on a throne. What's the throne look like? You see it? What, what is it? Fire. He's sitting on a throne of, there's a river of fire coming out from the ancient of days. Okay, this symbolizes his holy and right judgment. When it's judgment time, nobody's arguing with the ancient of days, right? Because it's holy and it's right. And the Antichrist, despite his government, despite all of its earthly power that it's amassed, will be thrown into the blazing fire, right? He doesn't stand a chance against the ancient of days. And here's why this matters for right now. Because when we rightly see the ancient of days, not as hippie Jesus, like lots of America wants to see God, but when we rightly see God as also the ancient of days, then it reminds us, this is number two, that evil will be defeated. Okay? Evil will be defeated by the ancient of days. And by verse 13, one like a son of man. So who's the son of man? My friends, this is an amazing prophecy of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus calls himself the son of man over 80 times in the Bible? 80 times. And when Jesus says the son of man, he's talking in third person even. What he's doing is he's referring to this exact passage. In the Old Testament. So now you know, when you read that in the Gospels, this is what he's referring to. He explicitly wants his listeners to know, and they would know, they knew the Hebrew scriptures, that he's not just a man. Okay, that's part of it. He's showing his humanity, but he's also the son of man from Daniel chapter 5, meaning he's this divine figure who will what? Who will come back, it says, on the clouds of heaven to reign eternally. And when the son of man comes back, Okay, this is verse 14. He's not just a man, right? He's the son of man. When he comes back, he will be given all authority, all glory, all power, and the time of beasts and corrupt governments and all the evil nations that may rage on our earth will be over, and the son of man will sit on the throne once and for all. Okay? Now, do you ever think about that? See, actually, you, you ought to. You have to let your mind go there sometimes to the future. In fact, I would tell you that passages like this one, like Daniel chapter 7, are so cherished by the persecuted church. Okay, like our Christian brothers and sisters in China, 
uh, in parts of India right now, in the Middle East. They hold on to these passages because they know, even though it is so dark where they are, that these evil, corrupt governments will be defeated someday. Okay, These are passages that will be more important, I think, for us, even in our future in America. There is no evil, okay? not even the Antichrist, that can defeat the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. You know, I talk to more and more uh, Christians who I think are feeling more and more fear about just the changes that are happening in our culture, whether it comes to morality. It's just different. It's not 1995 anymore. It's not 1955. And those, those periods have their own problems as well, right? But we feel the changes, and that I think is creating fear for a lot of us. But let me, let me just explain something. So I, we, we love reading in our family, and we, we read to our kids every day. And sometimes I'll be reading to my kids, you know, like a chapter book or something, and the story gets a little bit more suspenseful than Dad even anticipated it would be. And maybe my kids are getting a little scared or whatever. And I'll look at them, not always, but sometimes, if I'm really sensing it, I'll look at them and say, guys, it's going to be okay, okay? Everything works out in the end. Good will win. Okay, And I think for some of you, for that exact same reason, you need to press deeper into this passage. You actually need to press deeper into the end of this book. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you like spoiler alerts or not, but I'm going to give you right now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. God wins in the end. Okay? He wins. And so you've just kind of got to know. And sometimes we just got to meditate on that part of Scripture when you're going, oh man, what is happening right now? It's just that God has already told us. He wins in the end. Evil will be defeated. And for some of you, I think you need to know this, even if you have experienced real evil in your own personal life. And some of you have. You know, in a room this size, there are some of you who have gone through some pretty horrific things. And you maybe have had some trauma in your life. Someone has even committed evil against you. I want you to know that the Bible says that you are not the judge, okay? Okay? But there is a judge who sits on a throne of fire. And all evil will be dealt with. Okay, Even if you feel like it hasn't been dealt with justly on this earth, God says, do, do, do not take revenge for it is mine to avenge. Okay? Evil will be dealt with. It will be defeated. Evil does not go unpunished. God wins in the end. And when that day of judgment comes, I think one of the key questions to the reader of this passage is what, what will your perspective be? What will that be like for you? And I think this is actually a third reason why this chapter and why the idea of the ancient of days and the Son of Man is so important. So let me show you number three here. Here's why it matters that Jesus, he's not just hippie Jesus, okay? There is an ancient of days. And that matters because we are warned of God's holy judgment. Okay, we see very clearly in this passage that evil and sin will be judged. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, that's the ancient of days. He's on a throne of fire. The river of fire is coming from him. Verse 10 says the court was seated and the books were open. That, that's, that's judgment. In fact, we see the same sort of language in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible as it talks about the end. Let me show you this from, this is from one of the last chapters in the whole Bible. Revelation chapter 20. We'll put it on the screen. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. This is judgment. And the books were open. 
another book was open, which is the book of life. Okay, so the Bible says that when you die, or if Jesus comes back first, okay, whatever happens first, that every single person in this room will stand in front of God for judgment. And the only way you can be found not guilty, the only way that you are going into heaven is if your name is written in the book of life. That's what the book of Revelation says. And there's actually only one, na- one way you can have your name written in that book. And the thing is, you can't earn your way into that book. You can't say, okay, I'm going to get my life together, I'll do a bunch of good, then I'll get my name. It doesn't work like that. And it doesn't work like that because the Bible teaches us that we all sin. We do any perfect people in this room? If so I love to meet you, Jesus, <laughs> right? We're not, we sin, we do. And sometimes it's really messy. And if God is really the ancient of days, and he really is a just judge and he sits on a throne, then what will he do with our sin? We will be judged. There's a holy judgment for our sin. Now listen, I know that if you were to walk into any just random church in Minnesota nowadays, you don't hear teaching like that anymore, okay? You don't hear preaching like that anymore. But listen, this is actually what it says. I'm telling you what it says. And listen, after you die, there is not a person in this room who will be mad at me for what I just said to you. Actually, who you will be mad at is the Christians who never told you any of this because they just didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. But what I want you to know is I want, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, I want you to know the truth because eternity is coming. It's actually going to happen. See, when the Son of Man, Jesus, returns, he's coming to bring judgment. But listen to me, don't miss this. Okay, don't, don't misconstrue who Jesus is because when Jesus came the first time, he actually came to bring salvation from judgment. Look at this. Now that you know who the Son of Man is, now hear the words of Jesus anew. So Mark chapter 10, verse 45, say this. Jesus says, for even, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man, that's, that's himself, Jesus, that's like the Son of God who's riding on the clouds. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's incredible. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to give his life for yours as a ransom. You know what that language means when it uses ransom? Like we think of like kidnappings a lot. What that means is that currently some of you are being held captive to your sin. That is what you are serving. That is what your life has been about. And you will face judgment from God for your sins. And if you don't have true faith in Jesus Christ as your savior who paid for your sins, when you die, you won't be saved. You won't go to heaven. You will go to hell. And that is the judgment of God. But here's where it gets crazy. The Son of Man, Jesus, came as a ransom to trade places with you. Okay? So you can have Christians who are out here talking about the judgment of God and who he is and he hates this, right? And some people talk like that, right? I think actually 95% of Christians talk like God is loving and he's kind and he's merciful and he's forgiving. But this is where the beauty of both of those truths come together in an absolutely gorgeous and beautiful way. See, because even the person who would say, hey, David, you know, like five minutes ago when you were talking about how evil will be punished because some of you have experienced horrific evil against you, even if you said, David, 
that was me who committed the evil. I, I, I've done horrific things, terrible things to other people. I've hurt people in unbelievable ways. David, you don't know what I've done. The judgment's coming from me and it's right. Even if you are here this morning and you are feeling that, I, what I'm saying to you, what God's word is saying to you is that God knows what you did. And yet Jesus came so that the judgment of God for your sin would fall on him instead of you. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. He took the punishment for you on the cross, dying in the place of your sins. And if you would believe in that, what he would do with your faith is he would wipe you clean. And you know what he does next? He writes your name in the book of life. No matter what you've done, that is the grace of God. You cannot, some of you think this, but, but you're wrong. You cannot out the grace of God. You can't. He came to forgive you. He came to save you. Judgment is coming, but he came first with salvation. Grab on to salvation. But he is coming back, okay? And I want you to be ready. Hear me on this. Okay, if the Bible was laser accurate about the coming of the four kingdoms in Daniel's prophecy, then you better believe it is going to also be laser accurate about Jesus Christ coming back. Okay, so I want you to be ready for that. Are you ready? And there are many of you in this room that you are ready. And you believe that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. And if that's you, we want to celebrate that and remember that this morning. One of the things that we do here sometimes is what we call communion. We do it here. We do it often in our house groups. Communion is this celebration of what Jesus taught us in his last supper. The Bible explains it this way. Luke chapter 22. And he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. That's like an agreement in my blood, which is poured out for you. Right? This is a way that we as Christians, we remember that the Son of Man, Jesus, came from heaven. I mean, think about this. The Son of Man, who's going to have all authority and all glory, looked at the ridiculousness of my sin and said, I want that man in my family. And so I'll, I'll pay for it with my life. I mean, I just don't know what to tell you that's better than that, okay? And so we remember that by the fact that he came, his body was given for us, his blood was shed for us, and we want to remember that. So here's what we'll do. Uh, If you are a believer in Jesus, we're going to sing a final worship song, and at any time during that song, what I want you to do is to actually get up. We're going to do this a little different today. We have four communion stations. There's four up here in the front. And there's going to be two in the back kind of by the doors. And what I want you to do is anytime during that song, take a minute first and even just reflect on this. Talk to Jesus about his wonderful grace. And when you're ready, I want you to get up. You'll come to the table. You'll take a piece of bread, which represents the body. You'll dip it in the juice, which represents the blood, and you'll serve yourself communion. If you need something else like a a gluten-free or you just want the chalice, they'll be there on the table as well. But we just want you to encounter God. Even while you're up, our prayer team is going to be in the back corners You're up. You might as well have somebody pray for you, okay? And let me say one final thing. If you are here and you are not yet truly a follower of Jesus, and what I mean by that is you haven't given your life to him. 
Right? The Bible says we should repent of our sins. So that means turn away from our old life. If he has died for us, we want to live for him, okay? And that's just a step of faith. It's, and remember, it's not you earning it. You're not getting your life together first. He'll take you as you are right now and then transform your life. But it's you first saying, okay, I'm ready. Take my life. If you die for me, I want you to have my life. If you need to do that this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. If, you do, if you're not ready, you just keep coming back, okay? Just keep coming back and exploring. Take a Bible with you. But if you are ready, and some of you actually are today, what I want you to do is everyone's kind of getting up and they're walking to a communion table. I want you to actually get up, but then walk out to the lobby, and I and a follow-up team member will meet you right when you walk out, okay? And I'll help you do this, to take this step to follow Jesus. Okay, everybody know what they're doing? All right, let me pray. God, thank you uh, so much, uh, even for these uh, crazy chapters in the Bible, that they build our faith, that you are in control. You know the past, you're in the present, you know the future, God, and you are in all of those. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace for us, that even though we sin and we fall short, that you still came for us, and we just love to celebrate and thank you for that. And now, Father, we worship you, And we just tell you of our love. Your name we pray. Amen.